Welcome to Coffee House. So we are pushing back the Joan Didion book, The Year of Magical Thinking. We're going to do that next, but first we want to do a Steve Jobs discussion. We had two parts in the last one of the Steve Jobs biography by Walter Isaacson. It was an utter joy and delight to go through all that information, and now we're going to do a discussion about it. So existence is an equation. Well, at the quantum level, it seems like all rabbits and tea and red queens, but at the macro level, it's a matter of physics that things must balance. At the psychological level, it's likely the same. There's a long-held dichotomy that everybody's heard, the nature versus nurture. Now, we, of course, recognize that nurture is just an expression of the elasticity of nature, which is a fascinating discussion all on its own. But for our purposes here, the question is whether great people need a deficiency to be motivated to balance the equation with greatness on the other side. So we have two examples. We just read two books. Elon Musk and Steve Jobs. Now, Elon Musk, as we talked about when we went through his biography, was severely bullied when he was in school, when he was younger. He was and is a poor speaker. When he was a kid, he would go into these kind of trances where he'd be thinking through things, and people would have to come to realize what he was doing, that he was doing these incredibly dense calculations in his head and visualizing what things would look like to fix problems and design things. But he's still, to this day, he's not an especially astute speaker. I saw him for the first time give like an extended presentation when he was presenting the Cybertruck to the world, uh, which mine is pre-ordered. Everybody, all Cybertruckers out there, <laughs> love to hear from but that was the first time I really saw him give an extended presentation. You can see he has a lot of fits and starts. And when he does interviews, he has a lot of fits and starts. Sometimes he'll sit there, like he was on the Lex Friedman podcast, wonderful podcast. And he would just sit there for 30 seconds in silence trying to think of how he wants to answer a question. And it's not because he you know, has to desperately grasp for some kind of an answer. It's because there's so much he has to condense down. And he wants to answer it in an efficient and exceptional way. But when he was a kid, you know, people would take that as being different and bully him as a result. And he said that it was very severe. And when we're children, of course, just biologically, we're much more impressionable. We're trying to take in as much information as humanly possible. And the likelihood is that the deficiencies that are created in childhood, you know, whether it's a bad thing that leads to a bad outcome or a bad thing that leads to an, an impressive outcome, like with Musk, it's likely that he would compensate psychologically for that through his adulthood. Now, obviously, anybody can sit in the background and just play amateur psychologist but <laughs> these are just ideas that we're trying to work through here and hopefully the real professionals although i'm loath to even use that word anymore because of how infected with politics everything is when it comes to all these professions now but they likely have their metrics and their ideas and the way that they try to empirically understand how this happens but anyway so the question is whether as an impressionable child you take that severe deficiency that would come from being bullied in the way that he was bullied and then have to compensate for that through his adulthood Another thing for Musk was his father, you know, the father figure archetypically, and we're going to get into discussing that a little more as we go along, but archetypically the father figure would be very important for a young boy. And when he went to live with his father, I think him and his brother went to live, Errol Musk, went to live with their father, and their father was legitimately insane. He would go on these tirades, these rants for hours at them, and apparently he was abusive. There are a lot of lacking details for what actually happened, but it's something that seems to have a, had a severe impression as well on young Elon Musk. So these things in tandem likely were major contributors to what he ended up being able to accomplish. So when it comes to Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs was adopted, uh, most people know that, but the thing about adoption is that it feels like 
being wrapped in the original sin of abandonment. It's like you were abandoned before you were born, or soon after you were born. That was the first thing that you had to suffer before you even realized what was going on. So it's likely to have some kind of an indelible stamp on who you are. So adoption, luckily for Steve Jobs, he was adopted by a great family, but he developed these personality traits that likely stem to some degree from his adoption and that early initial abandonment. You know, uh, people described him as being able to be manipulative. He could be very intoxicating in person, but it's something that would wear off over time. He had this re reality distortion field where he would motivate people in such incredible ways when he wanted them to do something but often didn't care about the reality that surrounded it. You know, things like, they would talk about how he would go to somebody, and he had this dichotomous thinking, too, where something is either absolutely incredible or absolutely horrible. But he would go to somebody, and they would tell him an idea, and he would say, that's absolute crap, that's terrible. And he would leave, and then a week later, he would come back and present this idea as if it was his to the same person, and not even realize it or not care to realize it. So you wonder how many of these things are psychologically motivated by the fact that he had an early deficiency during his impressionable years in the abandonment and was now compensating throughout the rest of his adulthood for what happened initially. Now the other thing with Steve Jobs is that I wonder about whether he had real relationships, whether he actually experienced real relationships, because he would be this intoxicating person when he was around somebody, but it's something that, an effect that would wear off over time. So Steve Jobs' relationships were with people like his daughter and his wife. Now, his daughter, when we read about her in the book, it seemed like she had a similar kind of detachment, wherein she could use a relationship as she needed it, but otherwise didn't have much use for it. And Steve Jobs, you know, he had a long bout with cancer and would eventually succumb to it in 2011, I believe. But Steve Jobs' wife, Lorene Powell Jobs, who inherited just a tremendous amount of wealth, would become a Democrat mega-donor, which obviously that's a, a huge deficiency of character just demonstrated right there by giving money to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. But you wonder whether they had any kind of genuine connection she ended up dating relatively quickly and has had a, a series of boyfriends since then and just enjoyed this tremendous wealth that she was gifted. But it never seemed to me like Steve Jobs had a genuine connection with the people in his life. You know, he didn't want to reconnect with his biological father. He reconnected with his biological sister. But even that, you know, I would love to know what their relationship was like. Because it seemed like for Jobs that relationships were a means of accomplishing something as opposed to an end in themselves. So again, you wonder what aspect of that comes from the abandonment, but what aspect of that is a deficiency that led to his incredible motivation to accomplish the things that he tried to accomplish. So was it those deficiencies that forced their hosts to compensate with the greatness that they exhibited in their lives is the question. Uh, Jordan Peterson discusses religious belief in a profoundly mature way. When I understood what he was saying, because initially I just rejected it out of hand, but when I understood what he was saying, it dramatically changed how I viewed the structure of civilization. So Peterson talks about how we can say whatever we want, but we act out our beliefs. What we do is what our belief is. And everybody acts out a religious belief when they do anything. There's no fundamental value at the core of the universe that compels you to do anything on a day-by-day -day basis. Musk didn't have to do anything. Jobs didn't have to do anything. They had this superhuman conviction for reasons likely completely unclear to themselves, but that got them to accomplish just absolutely incredible things. 
So one thing we talked about is archetypes. This is my new favorite topic in the universe. But so we talked about in the context of communication, where you can communicate empirically. That's just trying to say the facts as you know them, and you're trying to get that across to somebody. And it can often be extremely ineffective. <laughs> Or archetypal communication, wherein you're using stories, you're using these prepackaged collections of ideas, and you're and those are the ways that you're trying to get across new ideas to somebody else. So I expanded the idea of archetypes to encompass ideas that are facially untrue but are story heuristics that motivate thinking primates like us. So an archetype, for example, could be something like the true love archetype or the one archetype. It's something that doesn't fit with evolutionary biology since we are adaptive and there's a diminishing return on stimuli over time. But the archetype that there is a true love or the one, the perfect person for you out there, can be profoundly powerful and motivating. It can be something that motivates you over the course of decades or helps you create your own reality distortion field when it comes to the person that is supposed to be the one. You can have just a simple thing that you hold on to like a, a coincidence or something wonderful that they did one time because of the archetype of the true love or the one. It can be something that you hold on and you stretch over the course of decades that will keep you dedicated to this idea. So for people like Musk and Jobs, the, the simple archetype could just be legacy or surviving death and it can be profoundly powerful in motivating them to create things and accomplish things that they otherwise would deem completely out of reach or unnecessary or just not something worth pursuing so again this idea is something that we are going to start really addressing and investigating in a more meticulous way but i think it's fascinating to think about that perhaps necessitated deficiency as a child or something like that that would motivate somebody throughout their lives just based on the necessity based on physics for balance in the equation. So that's our discussion for the Steve Jobs biography. I, I hope you enjoyed it to some degree, got something out of it. Like I said, we have Joan Didion coming up next. She just passed away. We're going to cover one of her books, The Year of Magical Thinking. And then I'm not sure what's coming up after that. We've got a few in the pipeline. That's definitely going to be the next one. And we're going to finally get that AI stuff up on the YouTube channel. I am in the, in the current process of trying to acquire a compound to be able to set all this stuff up so we can do everything much more efficiently and have sets for each one of these things that are designed specifically for each area of interest but it's in the process you know obviously there are a lot of things that go into purchasing that kind of a thing so i hope all is well i hope it's been a good year so far and anybody who is stuck in the absolutely blistering horrible disgusting cold um i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm there with you sadly and i will see on the next one. All right, bye.